0: Hello my fellow geoscience aficionados, you are listening to Nice Chats, from the Geology Podcast Network. I'm Dr. B, and in each episode I will interview an expert in various areas in geoscience, and share with you a little bit of their knowledge and expertise in the research of natural problems. Each of our episodes has a central theme, and since we'll have an expert walk us through the various subjects, you don't need to worry about having any previous knowledge of what we'll be talking about. As long as you're passionate about the study of geosciences, I, with the help of our guests and occasional co-hosts, will take care of fitting all the information that you need in a casual and fun environment. It's a bird. It's a plane. It's a fireball. In today's episode of Nice Chats, I'm interviewing actor and Dr. Luke Daly, a lecturer at the University of Glasgow and a member of the UK Fireball Alliance. Hey, Luke, how are you doing, Mon? Hey, man, how are you doing? Yeah, great to be here. Thanks for having me. How is it uh, being back in the UK? Uh,
1: Wet and cold. Uh, losing those thirty degrees, moving from Australia back to Scotland, uh, was traumatic initially. But um, I'm slowly getting used to it. I'm only wearing three layers
0: every time I go outside in the summer now. Um, yeah. <laughs> um, so I actually was in Glasgow for the SGA meeting. Is this little band I'm wearing here oh, uh, in 2019? Yeah, it was in the. Um, in that uh, like big building of the university of glasgow you know yeah yeah the like hogwarts one yeah exactly <laughs> the one that looks like a hogwarts castle yeah, um, yeah and i think that so i went with bryant uh, but i think that you were on field work or something so we couldn't catch up
1: yeah maybe or maybe i was away at a conference or something yeah that's um, a shame yeah
0: yeah it, it was yeah it was my only time in in scotland um and i i thought glasgow is great Really, but um, I'm sorry to say that I really did fell in love with Edinburgh. Ooh, and I was wondering, if there was a little it. bit of a of a <laughs> rivalry. <laughs> oh, glasgow
1: Glasgow's the like hidden gem, hidden diamond in, right. in Scotland. Um, yeah, Edinburgh is where everyone goes for like tourists the fringe, and the fringe is great. Everything, everything in Edinburgh, not ragging it, but yeah, Glasgow's got character and steel and history.
0: That's great, yeah. Uh, so, look, I know for a fact that you are a great actor. I wouldn't say great. That's my brother, but uh, <laughs> yeah, I, I dabble. But what about musicals?
1: Oh yeah, I do love musicals. I do love, okay. do love musical theatre, being on stage,
0: singing, dancing, just act. <laughs> that's good because then you're gonna love the game that we're gonna play today. So, I'm so today, we, yeah, today we'll play. <laughs> Possibly the most embarrassing game ever on Nice Chats, but it will definitely do the job of breaking the ice. And the name of the game is Rake Perfect. You know, as opposed to Pitch Perfect. That's a yeah. I like structural it. structural like geology it. joke. Yeah. yeah,
1: I see what you did there. That's,
0: I might use that in my
1: lectures. Yeah. <laughs> that's, that's too bad.
0: Uh, this is how the game works we will give each other a science, a geoscience-related word, and the other person has to sing a part of a song that contains that word. And if the other person can't guess it, then you sing the song yourself and you get the point. And whoever sings the most songs wins the game. Easy enough. Uh, before we get into it, I'd just like to apologize to you and to the listeners, because over the last two weeks, the Poland count in Germany went berserk, and allergies have gotten the best of me. I'm only a shadow of the man I once was. So if the singing sounds bad, look, it's not me, okay? That's the allergies, so don't blame me. (laughs) We had a similar situation in Scotland. It's
1: the one sunny day of the year and the pollen counts through the roof. So we're on a
0: level playing field. (laughs) All right, ready. Uh, I'm going kick to kick it off with a word and let's see if you can think of a, of a song with that one. I'm going to start with a fairly easy one, okay? Mm-hmm. So the word is rock. Rock. Um, okay.
1: Kiss. God gave rock and roll to you, gave rock and roll to you, put it in the soul of everyone
0: great job How's great that? job <laughs> yeah that's good this is the easy one because you know of yeah, the, I mean, the classic the you know one, right? <laughs> exactly <laughs> um so the one that i originally thought about see if you can guess which one it is we
1: will we will rock you
0: that's Sing it. it yeah yeah great great all right your turn I also, well, I'm hoping it's an easy one to start off with. Uh, my one was River. River. Oh, yeah, I know a Disney one. Man, you know what? Like, every time I, I try to think <laughs> of a song, my mind immediately goes to Disney songs. It's <laughs> so good. So much material there. All right, let's see. Just around the river bend, What's around the river bend? I want to know. I Beautiful. Think that's it. <laughs> I'm not sure Is about that, the, if the lyrics are... A hundred percent right, but you get the idea right yeah, 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 so one, which one did which one did you have in mind? I had a uh, big wheels keep on turning, proud Mary
1: keep on burning, rolling, rolling, rolling
0: on a river, oh man, that's a good one, yeah, <laughs> all right, the next word for you is hurricane
1: hurricane
0: this is a bit trickier,
1: oh. Oh, I'm not sure of the tune, but rock you like a hurricane. Oh, that's I don't really know what good. the rest of it is, but there is the song yeah, yeah, that yeah. says rock you like a hurricane.
0: That is good. Uh, I bet um, I bet you have a better one though, because man, yeah. when I when I tell you the one I had in mind, you're gonna kick yourself. Kick myself. <laughs> <laughs> Let me just check if you got. Oh yeah, rock you like a hurricane by Scorpions, of course. Mm-hmm. That's great. Yeah. So point for you for sure. The one I had in mind was here comes the story of the hurricane, the man the authorities came to blame for something that had never done, hurricane from Bob Dylan. That's actually the name of the nice.
1: song. Nice. Yeah. No, I, I mean, I must have heard that at some point in the past, but it didn't certainly didn't come uh, to mind straight away.
0: There you go. Uh, okay. Look, you your turn. So
1: my next words have a bit of a planetary theme. Okay. Um, so uh the my next one is mars
0: mars yeah i i i i i come up short i think you're gonna kick yourself oh man (laughs) i'm thinking like something bowie if he has something but yeah i can't i can't think of anything so do you want to hear the one i had yeah yeah go for it
1: so it's uh Take a look at the law, man, beating on the wrong guy. Oh, man, wonder if he'll ever know. He's in the best-selling show. Is there life
0: on Mars? David Bowie. Man, exactly. You see, I I had it right. I just couldn't remember the song. (laughs) If you're really into sort of like left-field musicals uh, Mm -hmm. slash prog rock, you could
1: have... um, the chances of anything coming from Mars are a
0: million to one, he said from uh, Jeff Wayne's World of the Worlds. Ah, there you go. Yeah, that one I'm not familiar with, but boy, yeah, man, I'm going to kick myself for sure. <laughs> All right, so let's just do one each. Um, and you're in the lead, obviously. So my final word is sky. Sky. Uh...
1: What can I say except you're welcome for this wait? For the tides, the sun, the sky. Hey, it's okay, it's okay. You're welcome. I'm just an ordinary demigod.
0: There you go. <laughs> I always turn to uh to twos. To <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's good. So I is sky's oh, actually yeah. a pretty common one. Uh, I had yeah. uh, I had two. One of them mm-hmm. is Your uh, country fellows. Lucy in the sky with diamonds. Yeah, oh yeah, yeah, of course, Uh, the Beatles. mm -hmm. And then another one was Gotta have a friend in Jesus. So you know that when you die, He's gonna recommend you to the spirit in the sky. Beautiful, yeah. Norman Greenbaum. Or you could have, Sun is shining in the sky. There ain't a cloud in Exactly. Time. Like in that soundtrack from uh, the Guardians of the Galaxy, there are at least oh, two. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, true. I mean, what? yeah, what a soundtrack that was. as well? Oh, so good. All right, last one, Luke. Hit me. Oh, okay.
1: Um, I'm going to stick with the planetary theme and go for moon.
0: All right. Oh, yeah, man, of course. Uh, uh Fly me to the moon. How, is it, how does the song go? Yeah, yeah. Fly <laughs> me to the moon. I don't know
1: the lyrics, though. No, <laughs> <laughs> oh, no, yeah. I mean, it counts, yeah. <laughs> I mean, the, the fly me to the moon is the important
0: thing. Okay, yeah, that's good. But because I couldn't think of the lyrics, I'll crown you the champ. I think you, you, you won nice. anyway because you got all of mine correctly. And I couldn't, uh, I couldn't think of Mars. So, so you win this one, man. Good oh job. thanks very much. Yeah, I'm dead happy with that. Dead joke.
1: That's, good, that's good. I was so looking forward to this
0: game. <laughs> I've always been very proud of my singing voice, but boy. I gotta tell you, Luke sounded like an angel. Alright, uh, let's get cracking on finding some meteorites. Huh? What do you say? If you have ideas for future episodes or guests that you think would fit well with the show, please write to us on our email, nicechats@gmail.com. at gmail.com. Uh, please subscribe to Nice Chats so that you can get a notification every time we release a new episode and please give us a five-star review and write a nice comment about our podcast and share it with your friends too. So look, let's talk about some space poo now, shall we? Yes. All right. Favorite so plan. I <laughs> I would like to ask you first, uh, because I've seen so many uh, terms thrown around and I'm not really sure about the differences between them. So what are the differences between meteorite, meteor, fireballs and UFOs?
1: So let's start with UFOs because that... Fun and everyone likes them. Uh, So UFO is just an unidentified flying object. So something in the sky that people have seen, and there currently isn't a good explanation for it. Mm -hmm. So it doesn't necessarily mean aliens. It could mean there was a flash. There's something in the sky we just that we haven't seen before, and we don't know what it is. Um, So we we have a few that we've seen in our cameras, for example, like we saw the giant green octopus in the sky which turned out to be a water droplet that had landed on a camera, and the light from a nearby street lamp had refracted through it and gave us just the green parts of the spectrum. And so it took us ages to figure that out, because it was like, why is there a giant green octopus in the sky? Why is it gone? Uh-huh.
0: Um, <laughs> Look, so nice I think that, uh, that's exactly what they want you to think. Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah.
1: <laughs> Someone just came up and, like, just cleaned it off and like or like yeah took away the octopus put it back in its boxing area <laughs> um yeah uh so that so ufo stuff we don't know what it is um and then all the other things you said are stuff we have a pretty good idea about what it is so let's start with a meteoroid uh mm-hmm. rather than a meteorite and that's just a rock in space flying around doing its own thing nowhere near us um when a meteoroid gets captured by Earth's gravity and starts coming in and hits the top of the atmosphere, it's going really fast, like tens of kilometers per second. And as it's coming down, the sort of like air molecules are trying to get out of its way, kind of like, you know, rubbing your hands together causes your hands to warm up. Mm-hmm. Imagine that, but rubbing your hands together at 10 kilometers a second, are just spontaneously combust. So that's basically what happens. These things are like um, heating up a lot, forming a f- magma, forming well, forming a lava, forming a... Um, plasma and ablating off and they generate a lot of light mm-hmm. and that light that you see is called a meteor Okay. Um, so meteors tend to be really short kind of events and they tend to be like sand sized particles coming into the atmosphere so they kind of you blink and you miss it so okay. you if you're staring at the night sky full of stars and you see this little boom, that's a shooting star that's a meteor if it lasts longer that's when you start talking about it as like uh, as in a bit Uh, that's what that's when it becomes a fireball so fireball has a strict scientific definition which is uh, a meteor of of brightness magnitude minus three and if you're like me and don't know what that means the way i kind of like to think about it it's very very bright and you see it for several seconds so it's kind of the thing where if you see a meteor you'll be like oh how did you see that no okay it's gone whereas a fireball it would be like oh my god Did you see that? Point at the sky, and then they see it too, and everyone gets like, "Wow, okay, this thing," and it's like blaring across the sky for several seconds. So that would be a fireball, Mm -hmm. and they're the ones that it's basically a rock that's sort of on the order of like a basketball-sized or kind of bigger that's dropping through the atmosphere, and they're the ones where it's more likely that something will survive to the ground. And then you have a magical transformation in terms as soon as that rock meteoroid hits. The earth and lands on earth it becomes a meteorite. So nothing substantially changed about it apart from it uh, went through this fiery transition in the atmosphere but it's, as soon as it's on the ground it's a meteorite.
0: Okay so <laughs> it has to hit the ground though.
1: Yeah so it makes me wonder if you caught it <laughs> and then dro- when, when's, when does that happen but um, yeah that's maybe overthinking the term.
0: <laughs> yeah good luck catching one. Um, <laughs> and how many t- uh, different types of meteorite exist how
1: many uh loads um, and it kind of depends whether you're a, a lumper or a splitter so um, okay. if you like classifying things into each individual thing you could almost classify each meteorite as its own type because they're they're very distinct very unique samples i'd um, have called a broad strokes thing you could say there's three types of meteorite mm-hmm. there are stony ones which are made out of stones uh, <laughs> very imaginative uh, naming system as you'll come to realize there are iron meteorites, which are made out of iron, nickel, metals. Um, and there are stony iron meteorites, which is the name made out of iron, nickel metal and bits of stone. And they kind of tell us lots of stuff about different aspects of our solar system. So iron meteorites come from the cores of planets, so mm-hmm. right at the center, which is really nice, um, because we can't g- get samples of our own core. So we can use these iron meteorites to understand what Earth's core might look like and what it might be made of, uh, as well as what other planetary core systems might look like stony iron meteorites seem to be uh, evidence of some of the most cataclysmic events in our solar system where two planetary bodies smash into each other and the core of one planet merges with the upper mantle and crust of another planet injecting basically these patchwork veinlets of metal into olivine and so they're called palisite meteorites and they're the probably most strikingly beautiful specimens um, and then the stony meteorites, there's kind of two flavors. There's achondrites and chondrites. Achondrites come from the surfaces, the crust of large planetary bodies. So things like Mars, things like the moon, things like Vesta. And so from those, we can understand volcanic processes or impact processes on other planetary bodies. Mm-hmm. And then chondrites, which is what I spend most of my time studying, All the min- they're the oldest rock in our solar system. They're the oldest rock you'll ever hold. They're four and a half billion years old, and all the dust inside them, all the grains formed within the first few million years of our sun starting. So we can use these to understand what our solar system was like before there were planets, before there were even small asteroids, and how those asteroids built together, and how our solar system came to be. So I guess long we did an answer, loads of different types, all four. <laughs>
0: Uh, um, And you mentioned that, you know, it becomes a meteorite as soon as it hit the ground. And how do you search for those meteorites that have hit the ground? There are lots of ways people try and do that. There's kind of like the sort of like old school
1: brute force method where you just send out folks into areas that are stable over long time periods or have a high, some, some reason why you might have a high chance of finding meteorites. So, Good places to search are areas like the Australian Outback, because it's swathes and swathes of arid, lifeless desert. And little black rocks, which is what meteorites look like, stand out like a sore thumb on red dirt. Uh, So like the human eye has a really good contrast. Another really good place to go is Antarctica, on these blue ice fields where meteorites have actually been concentrated, where they've fallen onto the ice elsewhere, and been sucked up as the ice goes up towards mountains and ablates off and it's, the every, it's almost cheating then because every little black rock you find on the surface of the ice is pretty much a meteorite and you're just like bagging them up and so people like met, and and a japanese-led expedition i think there's a belgian one as well and the uk had its first one a few years back go out and just bring back kilos and kilos and kilos of space rock they're great but the key missing piece of the puzzle there which as any good geologist knows, would don't have their context. We don't know where those rocks came from in our solar system. We've just got 60,000 random rocks that someone dumped in our backyard and we're expected to figure out how our solar system formed. And we can't even say this rock came from that asteroid.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And so a kind of relatively kind of new way, of it's not new, but it's really coming into its own is this idea of putting cameras out uh, around the world, uh, taking images of the night sky, to image these fireballs as they come in to A, give us a good idea about where it landed and to go get it um, and pick it up. And so you're doing a targeted search there. You're not just kind of going out and hoping that Lady Luck will shine on you and you'll be able to find one. It's like Lady Luck starts to shine on you, but in a three kilometer square box, which is a lot more likely than the entire planet. Um, And the other thing it gets you is you can track it back into space and figure out its orbit by figuring out the velocity and the angle it came in. You can then track it back, see where in our solar system it's come from, take it back a few million years to see where that orbit stabilizes and go, hey, there's this asteroid family or this even specific asteroid in that region of space at that time. Maybe these meteorites that we picked up from that fireball came from that. And then so we can then start doing solar system wide geology with that Con- rock context in place, mm-hmm. so it really adds to our interpretive power of understanding how our solar system formed.
0: Right, and to do this uh, camera work that you mentioned, um, you use the the Fireball Network.
1: Yeah, yeah. So um, there are loads around the world. Uh, so Australia has its own called the Desert Fireball Network, which I <clears throat> was lucky enough to be a part of when I was doing my PhD over at Curtin University and helped set up some of those cameras. Uh, That network has gone global now with the Global Fireball Observatory. And now I'm in Glasgow. I help set up uh, the UK Fireball Network, uh, which is the UK arm of that global Australian initiative, uh, which is really kind of lovely. So we've set up six cameras so far and have plans to expand it across the rest of the UK. Uh, But the UK is a bit of a special case because we're not the only gig in town. Like, so, and it, this gets a bit of an acronym hellscape. So I'll try and keep it simple because there are seven or eight camera networks, <laughs> both professional led by academic institutions, but also uh, sort of like amateur astronomy enthusiasts. And so there is loads of data, loads of cameras sticking up, everything from CCTV cameras to doorbell cameras to Raspberry Pis to um, to our stuff and stuff of uh, the Frippon French network. And we all decided to basically come together under the umbrella of the UK Fireball Alliance, or UK4, uh, which was kind of led by a chap called Jim Rowe, uh, who basically organized this data sharing arrangement. So if we all see a fireball over the skies of the UK, we all send each other each other's data. It gets run through all the models really quickly. And then we have a really good estimate about where Space Rocks could land. And then the plan is to go get them.
0: So um, you, it seems to me like it's a very collaborative work, which is great. That's something that we love here in this uh, podcast. So then you all come together. And how do you go about tracking them from the pictures that you've uh, they've taken? Let's say you've already limited your search area. Then like, what do you do? Do you put a team together that uh, goes out in the field and search for this? Uh, That's a really good question. And so
1: there are two flavours of that answer. There's the ideal situation, which is what happens in a non-COVID world. And then there is the really challenging situation of what happens in a COVID world. Mm -hmm. Um, In an ideal situation, we'd see a fireball that we're pretty sure has dropped a meteorite. We would uh, basically talk to other academic institutions that are studying planetary science and get a team of sort of like PhD students, postdocs, lecturer staff from all around the country to descend on this area. And also then kind of, uh, we have some amazing volunteers with both the UK Fireball Network and across the UK Fireball Alliance that basically signed up to turn up in a field somewhere in the UK at very short notice, which is wonderful uh, to basically help us search. So in a non-COVID world, we'd send out that alarm and say like, hey, look, anyone who's available, meet here, uh, and we'll go, go meteorite hunting. Mm-hmm. Um, and then it's, we use very much the same techniques that search and rescue do. So uh, you all line up in a line, uh, sort of two to three meters apart, depending on the terrain, and you just basically walk back and forward across the landscape, um, flipping over at each end, so you make sure you're covering all the ground. Uh, it's pretty slow going, um, mm-hmm. and you've got to keep yourself excited and engaged, because it can get boring pretty quick. I mean, it's like mm-hmm. oh, meet you at hunting, it's really exciting, exciting. But doing that eight hours a day, <laughs> just staring at the ground, not finding anything, you've got to make sure your brain isn't just switching off. And how um, do you do that? Uh, lots of breaks, like chatting to each other, make, talking to each other, making sure everyone's OK. But also kind of at the end of each line, go, how was that? How how do people feel? And if everyone's like, yep, pretty feel pretty good, then we flip over and do the next line if they go yeah i switched off then we go back and do that line again because he's mm-hmm. like sod's law is that would be the line that had the meteorite on it <laughs> and we missed it uh so yeah you kind of got to go back and check um mm-hmm. but yeah no i mean if anyone has any bright ideas of how to keep <laughs> 10 to 15 people completely on it for eight hours at a stretch um, i haven't heard it <laughs> oh yeah it's, man it's, it's, I, I, yeah, it's that's a
0: challenge That's exactly why I asked you, because it sounded like a a colossal challenge to me. Yeah,
1: I mean, basically it's it's do what you can, um, because you know, like, yeah, there's a limit to human endurance and what.
0: Yeah. And uh, you mentioned that uh, you will put out uh, calls for volunteers, and um, you recently had uh, success finding quite a few meteorites in the UK, right? H- uh, how many did you find? Well, so it was all from one event, so all
1: from one fall, okay. Uh, which was on the, I should uh, twenty twenty eighth of Feb. It was on the, mm-hmm. so yeah, a, yeah, a recent fall on the twenty eighth of Feb. the bright fireball was seen, uh, sort of reasonably late at night, uh around the UK, it we've seen as far as Europe, up up in Scotland, this thing was really bright, trailed across the sky for ages, broke the world record for the most reported fireball ever, oh, which wow. I didn't even know was a thing. But also considering, you know, the Russian fireball in Chelyabinsk, everyone noticed that <laughs> <Like> <laughs> it was in Chelyabinsk, that thing, the fact that this broke that record uh, yeah. was, was really, really kind of something. Um and it was very clear quite quickly that rocks had landed on the ground. And so uh, folks from the UK Fireball Alliance got on the TV, said, hey, look, we've seen this fireball. Pretty sure there should be rocks on the ground. Keep an eye out for black rocks that weren't there yesterday. Mm-hmm. Um, and in the meantime, we were still refining the fall line. We had a, we had a box that was most of Dorset. So mm-hmm. that was not, not great. So we were like, well, we'll not go search just yet. We'll wait till that comes down a bit. Um, with, as sort of like the data pipeline churns around. We had a bit of bad luck that both the French, our French collaborators were out searching for their own retry because they saw a fireball mm. like the day before ours. And mm. so all their team was out in the field. And in Australia, it was a public holiday. Oh. So the person who runs their model was windsurfing somewhere out of signal range. So it actually there. took a day longer to get our fall position than it should have done mm. uh, if everything was working ideally. Um, but then it was—it became clear that we had a very tight fall position and we had a few images of some very exciting looking rocks that the public had sent in, um, including a very famous now pile of dust on a driveway in the sleepy town of Winchcombe um, that we were like, okay, we need to get a team out there. We saw the thing fragment. It blew up in the atmosphere as it was going down. There is probably more out there. We need to get some boots on the ground. How do we do that safely? and responsibly in a COVID, in the middle of a COVID lockdown. Yeah. And so uh, myself and load of people from other academic institutions like Manchester, Plymouth, Imperial, NHM, Open University, filled out mountains, uh, literally mountains of paperwork to fill out the risk assessments, get permission from the university to travel, uh, basically make sure we could get down there, keep maintaining safety for us, but also the uh, local people, Uh, in and around Cheltenham and area, Uh, got permission and we all turned up uh, sort of like a crack small team uh, because we couldn't take all the people we wanted. So it was like, just like the bare bones of a search team. Um, Mm -hmm. And then we went searching for uh, four or five days. Uh, Most of the other teams had to go back on the weekend. And so it ended up, uh, we covered a huge amount of area in those first two days, but then most other folks went home. And it was just the Glasgow core left mm-hmm. because we'd we'd travelled like nine hours to be there. It was like, well, we'll we'll stay on the weekend and just tidy up a few of these loose ends. There's still a few areas that are were worth searching, and it's a real good job that we did because um, very early on the Saturday uh, we were just walking across a field, seeing one thing we realised there are a lot of things in the UK landscape that we look. Very much like the fusion crust of a meteorite. <laughs> Everything from sheep, of which, you know, in the Cotswolds, there's a lot of that around. <laughs> and so every like four weeks, you're like, oh, uh, again, I'm tricked again. Oh, uh, mm-hmm. to spider webs, like a spider web in the dew of the morning light really glistens really brightly and looks for all the world like the shiny edge of a fusion crust. And again, so you get really excited about spider webs. Yeah. Um, and. So, yeah, we were walking across this field, getting excited about poo. And then my partner, Mira, who was out volunteering with us um, and who hadn't been searching the last two days because she was working from uh, the hotel, uh-huh. came out to help us search. And we were like walking across this field and she just stopped dead in her tracks. Kind of looked down and was like, uh, Luke, can can someone, is, is, this, is this it? Drop the mic. Um, and i just <laughs> everything slowed down. I, as soon as I, I was walking over, it sort of like saw that it was like totally different to anything we'd seen, saw the shine of the fusion crust, saw this like glisten. I was like, I didn't know what to say, I didn't know what to think. It was like, well, wow, we it's one thing to find a meteorite on a driveway to basically like lands on property mm-hmm. and people find it. Finding a rock in a field in the UK. Uh, people thought wasn't really a goer like I remember talking to the folks in Australia and basically getting laughed out the room because they were like well your Australia has red desert it's very easy to find meteorites the UK like I was about to say look behind me but this is radio so that's not gonna work uh, <laughs> the UK has like dark green deciduous forests swamps marshland little black rocks just sink like they just disappear very quickly and so to be able to Find, find one was was amazing and shows that, yeah, these algorithms can predict these full positions so precisely that even with everything stacked against us, with weather, landscape, um, we're able to find meteorites in the ground. And so, yeah, it was an amazing feeling after, yeah, basically five years of work setting up the UK Fireball Network and then also working with all the wonderful folks within the UK Fireball Alliance to bring that together, like you say, in this giant, wonderful, collaborative, international effort, that we have this utterly spectacular result of having mm-hmm. this brand new meteorite. And we recovered it, the, the stone on the driveway was recovered within 12 hours, and pretty much all this material we have was recovered before there was rainfall. And that's really important because rain really damages these rocks. Like if you get a little bit of rainfall on them, any m- minerals inside them that are soluble, so like salt, that's gone. And so mm-hmm. and those minerals we don't normally see in the rest of our meteorite collection because they've been sitting on the Earth for thousands of years at the stretch. Yeah. And so this rock basically is so pristine it will have all those minerals in it and we have its orbit. It's like having a sample return mission, which is like, so NASA and Japanese Space Engine are sending probes at great expense. If you're up on your football to the cost of one Neymar Jr., or about two and a half, uh, to a quarter of a million pounds, sending these things out to asteroids to bring back like literally like grams of material. Well, mm-hmm. we, so we have that context. This winchkin meteorite, which is half a kilo, is basically as pristine, or as close to as pristine as those samples will be. So yeah, it's we're gonna learn so much from this rock. So yeah, we're, we're really dead happy, dead excited, and just can't wait to get stuck into the science.
0: Yeah, that's that's a, that's a great story, and uh, it's very fun for me to see how excited uh, you all are with the discovery. And uh, speaking of, you know, you said oh, we're gonna find great things. Like, what do you ex- what kind of answers do you expect that this rock is gonna give you about the universe?
1: <laughs> uh, so I'll try and keep this as short because there are literally there are hundreds of things we can tuck into with this sample, which is which is lovely. I guess the kind of key one that we're hoping Winchkin will be able to tell us is that one of the big questions in planetary science right now is, where did Earth's oceans come from? Where where Earth formed in our solar system was inside something called the snow line. So water should be in a vapor phase. And so what that basically means is that water's gone. That's been blown out by the young sun's solar winds. And so Earth should form pretty bone dry. mm mm-hmm which is very different to the lovely blue planet that's very nice and habitable and moist and lovely that we inhabit today. And so one of the questions is where did that water come from? And the kind of front-running theory is meteorites like Winchcombe, which is a water-rich type of meteorite which comes from water-rich asteroids, rained down on Earth early in its history, delivering both the water, but also the organic material that basically provided that primordial soup that enabled life to get going. Now, a lot of these meteorites, like I've said, are very delicate. The minerals inside them degrade very fast. So when you measure the water content and the water composition, it's been altered by just being in Earth's atmosphere. So one of the things we're hoping to be able to see is a pristine snapshot of the water content of this meteorite. And if that pristine snapshot is a match for Earth's ocean composition or the water content of the bulk Earth, that would be really good evidence that these types of meteorites are kind of one of the key components that delivered water to earth early in our solar system. So yeah, everything from where did earth's oceans come from to origin of life with the delivery of organics are kind of the two big picture things, but then even just understanding how asteroids, these water rich asteroids came to be, how they developed and evolved Mm -hmm. and ended up raining on us on the 28th of Feb. All these kind of fun questions is kind of what, we're going to be doing over the next year but probably for a generation or so
0: yeah wow that's exciting um i also saw i saw on the on the social medias that um, you advised people that if they did see something that could be a meteorite to wrap it in aluminum foil and i just wondered why is that a necessary step uh
1: yeah Yeah, no that's a very good question Uh, i guess kind of one of the key reasons you want to So aluminium foil has this nice property that's roughly sterile when it comes out of the packet. Um, It's just a sheet of aluminium. Um, Mm -hmm. And one of the kind of important things we want to study in this meteorite is the organic component. So what organic molecules, what amino acids, what kind of fatty acids, lipids, all the kind of pristine building blocks of life. Um, Not there's life, there's not life in this meteorite, but like all the stuff that would make up, you'd need to start life on a planet. The ingredients, yeah. Um we want those to be as pristine as possible. So if you pick it up with your hand, your hand is covered in like oils, skin cells. And so if we then put that meteorite in the organic machine measurer
0: mm-hmm.
1: and it goes, there is human life in this meteorite, you kind of go, ah, we contaminated it and we've overprinted all the nice original interstellar uh, interplanetary organic compounds. Whereas if you just cover it in aluminium that takes out that problem and also like nicely contains that rock in a safe environment both both from both from like the uh, environment it's in but also from you contaminating it and potentially damaging that organic signal so that's kind of the the main reason why we didn't want to want people to touch it with their hands and collect it in a sterile material mm-hmm. which okay, cool. which is what what's what was really nice about that is wh- when we sat out there like everyone did that. Everyone who found a bit of Winchcombe followed the protocols to the letter, which was just wonderful. Um, and kind of like a really nice story. E- everything, everything from the people finding it in the driveway and then sort of like generously donating it to the museum to my partner who's like not, not a planetary scientist, just volunteering, being able to be the one that spotted it, find it sure it. shows that yeah, you don't have to be a planetary scientist to find meteorites and go meteorite hunting and contribute to these kind of historic events.
0: Yeah, that's like something I'm very interested at is like, how do you get the community to be so engaged and so invested in this uh, in this project? You know, do you, do you have any strategies that you do? Um, I mean, I think the most important thing we do is just engage.
1: Like, we just talk to folks. So like a lot, like one of the most what I think is the most important part of my well, most important part of my job, apart from doing the science that I'm going to talk about, is communicating that scientific discovery to the pu- public in an accessible way. I'm very fortunate because planetary science is really cool. <laughs> so like you talk about a space science. Uh, isotope, isotope it's not is also a hard cool, okay? sell. <laughs> yeah. No, 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 no doubt. But I mean it's, it's not it's not a hard sell to say space is cool and important. And so yeah, it's yeah, it's 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 really nice to be in the UK in planetary science right now.
0: Oh, that's great. Um, and then you, you know, I imagine that you got your hands on this, well, got your protected hands on the sample, and then you basically treated the sample the way that we imagine we would be treated if we were ever, um, captured by a spaceship, which is, you know, you run a bunch of tests in them, I imagine. So what do you do, uh, once you have the samples, what kind of techniques do you use to, you know, get information from it?
1: Yeah, uh, we're throwing the book at this rock. <laughs> um, so the UK well, and global scientific community has got really excited by uh, the fact that we have this rock, the fact that it's such a weird type of meteorite, the fact that it's so pristine. And so uh, we've organized this consortium study. So every lab who's interested in planetary science and has a toy to throw at it uh, is throwing it at this rock. So we're gonna. So at Glasgow, we're gonna be doing um, electron backscatter diffraction, which uh, uses electrons to figure out the crystallography of of these rocks and see how they're deformed. Um, we're also gonna be looking at like atomic detail at the materials inside it to figure out what the sort of very fine grained mineralogy using a transmission electron microscope which is basically a very large column that throws electrons down at very high speeds through a very thin sample. Um, And one of the kind of most exciting things, uh, in my mind, because I'm biased, and this is what I do for the most part, is we're gonna be extracting 100 nanometer-sized needles from it and taking it and putting it in a machine called an atom probe, which literally takes one atom at a time, measures Mm -hmm. it, takes another atom, measures it and you can figure out where that atom was in your sample and build up this 3D atomic cloud. So you're literally getting atomic level precision on structure, isotopes, geochemistry. And so, yeah, we're gonna be measuring this thing from the bulk melting a few bits of it down in various acids to figure out what its bulk chemistry is, but also measuring it at an atomic level to figure out what it's made of. So a complete dissection of this rock is about to happen in the UK, throwing all the, all the, all the techniques we possibly can uh, at it and basically showing, showcasing the kind of excellent sample analysis that the UK is capable of.
0: Awesome. And um, I imagine, I mean, obviously these samples are very um, precious and I was wondering how do you tow the line between? needing to characterize a sample and get as much information out of it as possible and the need to preserve it?
1: That's a really good question. Unfortunately, not one I have to deal with because that's the museum's (laughs) job. So uh, the Natural History Museum is the repository of meteorites um, in the UK. And so they've done a fantastic job, uh, both uh, sort of talking to the finders, um, arranging that sample to be brought to the museum, curating it in a way that, like you say, preserves it. Um, and of course, we want to study it. We want to be excited about it. But we also don't know what the future holds. We can say, yeah, we've got all the best gear. We've got all the best kit. There's nothing we could possibly learn after this. So let's destroy it all for science. But then you go, well, we know for a fact that Atom Probe, for example, t- before 2014 hadn't been heard of in the geosciences. So we don't know what tools will be available for us in the future. And so, like you say, it's very important to preserve it. So we're not going to be using all the material, just a very small fraction of it. Um, And like you said, preserve the material for future scientists to be able to apply new tools, apply new knowledge to. Um, So, yeah.
0: Um, So we're reaching the end of our interview. But before we go, uh, I like to always ask uh, the same three questions at the end of every episode. Okay, and these are questions that are a bit more personal. Uh, They are designed to make each guest a bit more familiar to the listener. And also they allow us to compare experiences and opinions across all of the geoscience research fields. And the first question is, how did you first decide to become a geoscientist?
1: That's a really nice question. Yeah, um, so I guess it seems like a long time ago now when I was a kid. I grew up, so what got me interested in science as a whole uh, was growing up watching David Attenborough documentaries. So like Life of Plants, a Life on Air, all those kind of like amazing documentaries about life on our planet, about, and with that earthly amazing footage and David Attenborough is just the king of everything as far as I'm concerned. Like he's a national treasure um, and should be protected and preserved as long as possible. <laughs> um, and then, as I kind of, kind of progressed up through uh, sort of like the education system, got to kind of A levels, and I was like, I want to be an astrophysicist because astrophysics and space is cool. Um, and then I came across quantum mechanics, and I didn't understand it at all, and <laughs> just could not get my head around it. And I was like, mm, maybe I'm not clever enough to do astrophysics. But at the same time, I was exposed to the wonderful world of geology and geoscience, and I took it on a whim because. They were like, okay, we offer geology, and uh, it's a really nice. You study how the earth works, blah, 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 blah. But we also get to go to Iceland and Santorini. And I was like, yes, travel, adventure, science, good. I'll do geology. Um, and basically fell in love with rocks, fell in love with the subject, And then ended up applying to Imperial College to take it as a degree. Yeah. Um, and then what I like to kind of share with the story is I didn't know I wanted to be a planetary scientist for a long time. I bounced between a lot of things. I, when I started my degree, I wanted to be a volcanologist. Oh, okay. Because volcanoes are cool, right? Yeah. The big things with lava coming out of them, like they're awesome. Um, but then I also discovered fossils doing some paleontology. I was like, well, fossils are cool, like dinosaurs, like, but also just even tiny little things like ammonites, graptolites, now, graptolites can die in hell. They fully deserve to go extinct. They're really boring. Uh, But like other other fossils, I was like, well, structural geology, paleontology, that's what I want to do. Mm -hmm. Um, And I was all set up to do a PhD uh, studying an area in Morocco uh, in terms of its paleo-biodiversity and structure Mm
0: -hmm.
1: when a certain professor, Phil Bland, uh, who was at Imperial at the time, got a grant to go out to Australia, the uh, Arc Laureate Fellowship. Um, And my girlfriend at the time... Lucy Foreman uh, was his uh, advisee. She was, uh, he was his supervisor, and basically said, "Like, hey, I've got this grant to go out to Australia. I'm looking for PhD candidates. I think you would be an excellent candidate." Um, to which she called me and was like, "We need to talk." I am like, "What have I done?" <laughs> um, and she was like, "Oh no, like, so I've been off like." been sort of like provided this offered this opportunity to go to Australia to study meteorites. Mm-hmm. And I was like, okay, well, that's, that's, us done then. Cause you've obviously got to take that. That's an amazing opportunity. Like go. Um, and she was like, Oh, but he said you would also like be an excellent candidate for a PhD. Uh, if you would consider applying, I was like, why are we still talking about this? That's yeah. Go to Australia to study meteorites. Yes. Let's both apply like now um and so uh went off to Australia and never looked back like like you kind of like go okay well rocks on earth are cool in my opinion rocks in space are just another level of cool um and so just kind of never looked back had a really lovely time in Australia doing my PhD Mm -hmm. Uh, very lucky to get a postdoc straight out the gate uh at Glasgow University after I finished to continue the this sort of like subject area that I love and yeah um <clears throat> that's a really long way of answering that question. Yeah, but it was, but it was a good answer. It was a good um,
0: answer. So. <laughs> yeah, that's yeah, cool. That, that's, a, that's an interesting path. And, um, you know, they say hindsight's twenty twenty. I think that in this case, it was the right decision. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> um, what are some of the specifics of the research that you are conducting at present?
1: Um, well, I mean over the next year, Winchcombe is going to take over my life because I'm I'm helping to organize the consortium study of uh, all the academics around the UK and making sure all that data samples get uh, delivered, data comes back in a timely fashion and we write up uh, all the lovely science. Um, But I'm also involved quite heavily in the Japanese sample return missions. So I've been working on the samples they brought back from the asteroid Itakawa using some of these high-end microscopy techniques finding some really nice results. And we're about to receive three whole particles from the asteroid Ryugu, which was collected by the Hayabusa 2 mission, uh, in the next few months. So that's going to be another thing we're going to be looking into. So if we talk about <laughs> the most pristine samples, really uh, sort of like delicate, rare. Need to take like ultimate care of them to try and mm-hmm. m- get the maximum science out of the smallest sample volume. So these grains we're going to get are going to be less than the width of a human hair, which are already giving me nightmares <laughs> because you're like, you're trying to pick them up and you don't want to breathe in because oh, you could man. inhale them. And oh like that's God. a lot of effort that people I went want, to to get that.
0: Yeah, I wonder <laughs> if you would uh, gain any superpowers if you were to accidentally to ingest. Uh,
1: <laughs> I'm sure someone must have done it. Oh, and, yeah. uh,
0: last time I checked, there are no superheroes. Uh, <laughs> yeah, true. Maybe well, they're a super um,
1: villain though for eating a meteorite.
0: Mm. <laughs> now it's uh, our final question is what do you enjoy doing when you're not geosciencing?
1: Uh, I mean, as you kind of already mentioned, I really like like my theater, particularly musicals, um, and doing a bit of, bit of Amdram when I can. Um, I also really like uh, Lindy Hop dancing, which is kind of this like original swing, which is which is really funny. Mm-hmm. and oh, sorry, not really funny, really fun. And suits my dance style of being really flaily to the ground. It's a very <laughs> flaily dance, and so it just looks normal. Um, uh, so yeah, I really, really enjoy doing that. In lockdown, I've discovered I don't have a green thumb, but try anyway, and really got into gardening and trying to get some get some veggies growing in my garden. Uh, which, again, in Scotland with very limited light, very limited warmth, uh, nothing's really growing very up. But I'm having fun at the same time. Mm-hmm.
0: Um, yeah, that's pretty much me. <laughs> Yeah, so Luke, thank you so much for talking with us. I mean, to be honest with you, I could ask you another 20 questions, I say, but we always try to keep our episodes between 40 to 50 minutes. So I'll let you uh, get on with your your day and your studies, but thank you so much for, for having a chat with us.
1: No, thanks so much for having me. It's been a lot of fun. Yeah, thanks for having me on the show.
0: Absolutely amazing. It's one of my favorite episodes yet, I have to say. I know you're not supposed to pick between your kids, but this is one of the best. Um, who doesn't like hearing about space, you know, and potentially being able to find a piece of rock that came from outside of the planet? Uh, thank you so much, Luke, for, for giving us your time. Uh, nice Chats is part of the Geology Podcast Network and it is sponsored by Traveling Geologists. Follow Travelling Geologist on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. Uh, more episodes of this and other GPN podcasts are available at travelinggeologist.com. Uh, they're also available in a bunch of different uh, podcast platforms like Apple Podcast and Spotify. In two weeks... We have the final Loon episode coming out. Uh, We're finally tackling the other side of the Venn diagram. Inside Joke, listen to the previous two episodes. Um, And we are going to play the best game ever. Okay, I'm done editing this episode this Sunday right now. And I'm ready for some Netflix and shale. See you later. Yeah, so I prepare I had prepared like three other, but I think that we have enough to mm-hmm. to keep. Yeah, going. I, I, had a, I
1: had at least one more. Yeah, what what did you have?
0: Uh, it was mountain. Mountain, ain't no mountain high. Oh mountain. yeah, classic. <laughs> <laughs> what about? Um, I had one. Ah, this one, volcano.
1: So this is a rather niche one because so, I mean you saw that and I, was, I immediately thought of the load, but I was like, "I'm standing in a war zone with the power of, power of the mean dancing on a volcano as the battle rages on," and no one's going to know what that is because <laughs> it was on a like B-side CD now and then. that probably only my dad and I bought.
0: <laughs> <laughs> well, there is there is a, a very a uh, very famous one, I think most people will know, especially if they are geoscience lovers. Uh, and it's again a Disney one. A long, long time ago, there was a volcano. So yeah, that was a that yeah, was the one yeah. I thought of. Lava. Mm